0: Yeah, me too. Everything is a lot. Everything keeps getting to be even more of a lot. And somehow we expect to throw a smile on our faces and whenever someone asks us if we're fine, to pretend we are. I'm sad. I'm struggling. I'm overwhelmed. Please just let me lie here, face down, in a carton of chocolate ice cream until next spring. Listeners, in all these things you are not remotely alone. I am frequently not okay. I am exhausted. I just watched my audio engineer projectile vomit feelings of overwhelm at all of our colleagues and realize we're all in this together. We're all feeling the -the over-the-topness of this moment. (sighs) Right now it feels like we have misplaced all the responsible adults we ever depended on and it's not even swimsuit season. And we're no longer 13, thank goodness. Today on the show, I'm joined by one of the kindest people I know, young adult author Jo Knowles, to talk about her book, Where the Heart Is. It's a book about love, loss, one-piece swimsuits, and trying to reconcile those feelings of what we think we're supposed to be for other people, and who and how we really are. Thanks for joining me again, listeners. I'm Jeannie Phillips. This is Vermont Ed Reads, a podcast about books by, for, and with Vermont educators. Let's chat. Unless you don't feel like it. In which case, that's OK, too. Thank you so much for joining me, Joe. Tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do.
1: Hi. Thanks so much for having me. It's really an honor to be here and to talk with you today. Um, so, my name is Joe Knowles. I write young adult and middle grade fiction, or what we often call tween fiction these days. And I also have a picture book and picture book coming out next fall, my first one, called Earworm. And it's about a little worm who gets a song stuck in his head, and he needs to try to figure out who put it there. Um, I also teach writing for Southern New Hampshire University in their MFA program. It's called Mountain View MFA, and it's a low residency program. And so I, so teaching and writing, those are my two things. So A, I,
0: I cannot wait to get a copy of Earworm. That <laughs> sounds like a great book. Congratulations <laughs> on that. It sounds like a great book to read aloud to
1: our tween readers, even though we think of picture books for younger folks. Yes, I can't. I am so excited. I actually, the whole idea is such a silly story, but I had a dream that I had this great idea for a picture book, and then, in the, I, you know, I got up in the middle of the night and I wrote it all down because I was so excited because I thought it was such a great, great concept. And I woke up in the morning and I went to find my notes and I said to my husband, "What, what happened to the notes I took about the picture book idea I had in the middle of the night?" And he said, "What are you talking about?" And I said didn't I get up in the middle of the night and write down the story? And he said, no. And then I thought, oh my gosh, I dream, wait, did I dream that I dreamed that I had this idea? And then he said, well, and I was all upset and he said, well, what was it about? And I thought, I said, I can't remember. I was so upset. But anyway, I took the dog for a walk later that day and I was walking in the woods and it all came back to me and um, I came home and I wrote it. And I've met you several times because you've come
0: to my former school library and done um... Some amazing work with students around writing and um, and talking to them about your books. And I wonder what it's like to be a teen and tween author and now picture book author in a COVID world where you don't have um, sort of ready access to um,
1: readers. Yeah. Oh, it's it's very heartbreaking. I mean, I won't. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. I. One of the biggest joys about writing for kids is meeting kids and um, just being able to share not just my stories but my own personal story because i I, I think usually when i'm doing school visits um, when I talk about my own journey to becoming a published author and getting over my own shyness and things about public speaking that's when I really feel that connection to kids and you know sometimes afterwards there's always at least one kid who comes up and they're they're shy like me and they got brave somehow and they they will indicate some special thing about them that connect that made them feel close to me and they will often say can i give you a hug or something like that and for me those are the moments that i just cling to especially when i'm struggling with my own work and thinking i can't do this anymore why do i do this and i think of those kids that I've touched. And I, I just, I miss that already. It's, it's only been seven months, but it feels like an eternity. Um, and you know, I can still do zoom visits with kids and that's fine also, but there's just something about being able to recognize a kid in the audience who you are making a special connection with that, you know, it's, it's very, it's very difficult. But, um, you know, we'll just make up for it when it's safe again to travel, I think. And
0: One of the things I just heard from you, I heard so many things, but one of the things I want to follow up on is like writing is hard, even when you're a writer. And I remember you talking to my former students about that, that writing is a labor no matter what. And I think there's this mistaken notion that writers just it's really easy for them. And yeah. And kind of what you're saying is like, "Oh you've done all this hard work, and you don't get the celebration at the end of being out there with people in your book and getting to meet and greet readers but could could you talk a little bit about writing being hard and how you approach
1: such a, a challenging work sure well it's it's hard for different reasons, right um, sometimes it's hard because the words just aren't flowing for whatever reason, and then sometimes it's hard because you you are writing about a difficult, um, you're writing a difficult scene or you're writing something that comes from a really personal place. And you might feel nervous about sharing that in a story um, or, there there just might be something where you're putting your character in harm's way and you know that that's part of the story arc, but it's really difficult to do. Um, For anybody who has read See You at Harry's, that was certainly the hardest book I ever wrote. (laughs) I see you clutching your chest. Um, So, And I do tend to write uh, about sort of sad or difficult things that happen. I, I write realistic fiction and so naturally, most of my stories are about overcoming some some kind of obstacle, and it's usually physical and personal, and most often it also happens to be something I myself have experienced and survived, uh, and so those moments are usually the hardest part for me but then there's also other times where it's just getting through the murky middle of a book where you had this great idea or concept and then you just sort of how do i get to the end i don't i thought this book was going one place and now it seems to want to go another place how do i rein it in and make this a story that's going to actually be publishable (laughs) Um, so that's a challenge and then like with my most recent book that i'm still working on right now in fact. I'm waiting for notes from my editor. Uh, is a companion to where the heart is. Um, where the oh, I was about to show this to the screen, but we're we're not doing video, so. Um, so my book, where the heart is, which came out last spring. Um, there's a little sister in that book named Ivy. She's a secondary character, but I decided to write her story, and so I've been working on a novel about Ivy for the past couple of years now. And the big challenge with that book was I had, I wrote it in third person. It's a younger middle grade. So I, you know, Ivy is nine years old and just the voice originally kind of came to me as third person and I wrote it. And then my editor gave me comments and I revised it. And then she gave, still not there yet, I'm not connecting with IV and all this stuff. And then finally, um, you know, I had done big revisions, like maybe three really big revisions, and my editor finally, we had a heart-to-heart phone call. And um, I knew it was bad. I knew it was something wasn't working still. And she, excuse me, she very gently suggested that maybe I should try first person instead of third person and for any writers listening (laughs) you know that that doesn't mean you know doing a find and replace she and i it means starting over all over again with a blank page and so i rewrote the entire book again Um, but that was it. It was that, that really, when I started doing it, as soon as I started it, you know, the, the classic is just try it, Joe, just try it. You don't have to do it for sure. But uh, as soon as I started writing, her voice just flowed out of me and it was fun and, and enjoyable. And I had, I'd come to really dread working on the book. And then once I had her voice, it was such a joy to sit down and write again. And so so that's another example of when it's really hard to write. But then I think for advice for any writers listening is just allowing yourself to acknowledge that sometimes a book takes more than one try, that nothing is ever a waste of time. I couldn't have written that book in first person without having done all the work that led up to it because I needed to understand Ivy's story so fully um, before I could step into her shoes, and so I had to write those drafts to really understand what the book was that I was what book I was trying to write. Um, and once I did that, then it was easy. It, it just flew out of me, and it was fun, and I loved it. But so there's a lot of there's a lot of work to writing. Um, I know some writers can you know write a book in a month, and I'm so jealous of them. But for me, it, it's there's it's a much longer process. Um, someday, maybe I'll get a little bit faster. I don't know. I've written 10 books now and it's not getting any easier. (laughs) Well, and so first off, Ivy is
0: just such a likable character in (laughs) Where the Heart Is that I cannot wait to read her story.
1: (laughs) But also when my editor was reading Where the Heart Is, um, when we were working on it, she said she loved Ivy also. And she said, Ivy needs her own book. And several months after later I said were you serious about that because I have an idea and so that's how it started so it was really thanks to my editor who um, put the idea in my head to write her story well, she's a hoot in
0: this book, so I'm looking forward to that one.
1: Um, the
0: other thing is the reason I loved having you come to Green Mountain um, all those years ago, and why I kept inviting you, is because having you and writers like you come and share their story of writing, I think helped kids see, not just in terms of writing, and me helped me too see that, like, not just in terms of writing, but in terms of other things, the way to utilize feedback um, to make something better, and that um, the that we think that people like writers, for example, are just really good at things, but really it's all labor. It's all effort. And you always told such um, interesting stories about that effort to my students and and brought revisions to show them. And I'm I'm thinking about this um, biography I love of E.B. White called Some Writer. Um, It was uh, by, um, I think it's Melissa Sweet. Yeah. Right? yeah, And um, in this book, this picture book biography of E.B. White, some writer, the story of E.B. White, there are actual photographs worked into the collage that Melissa Sweet does for the illustrations of all the edits of that first opening paragraph of Charlotte's Web, which is so good, but didn't get good right away. It took like seven revisions or something to get to that beautiful opening line, which is apropos because your book also, this book... Uh, where the Heart Is. Charlotte's Web comes up a lot in this book, which we know. Okay, one more question before we get to Where the Heart Is. Yeah. Who are you as a reader, Joe Knowles?
1: What are you reading right now? Oh, um I am almost finished. I'm actually reading an adult nonfiction book, which I normally I'm just constantly reading middle grade and young adult books. But uh, I decided to sort of just take a little break and I'm reading this fascinating book called The Man Who Quit Money by Mark Sundin. He's a colleague of mine. We both teach in the MFA program at SNHU. And oh my gosh, it's just this fascinating story of a man who decided to give up money. And how it's really about his life, how he came to that decision, but then also how he, how he pulls it off. So
0: let's get to where the heart is. Could you introduce us to our main character, Rachel, either through her voice, reading maybe a little bit, or just tell us about her and who she is to
1: you? Yeah, I mean, 13, it's so hard. And there are so many expectations from your friends, from your parents, from teachers, everybody. you know like oh who's her first crush gonna be and then they tease you know you tease each other and all these things but um we don't we just kind of make assumptions about that right and there are some kids who are just not ready to have those feelings yet and i i think sometimes they just feel like so confused or like outsiders almost because they're not part of that conversation or they don't wanna be part of that conversation yet. They're not ready to be. And yet society, I think we just, we think that's, but that's, you're this age and that's what when these things are supposed to be happening. Um, And so that's really hard. And then I think it's especially hard with somebody who has mixed feelings and they don't even know, um, you know, do I like girls, do I like boys? do I like anyone? You know, it's, um, I think it's just very, it's such a difficult time for, for so many kids. And we don't always acknowledge that. I think we just, we don't take it seriously. I think we, we can joke around and be like, when are the engagement plans and, and not realizing that that can actually, you know, be hurtful to a kid who is, feeling under under pressure for all kinds of reasons
0: right and friendships are changing uh kids brains are changing and their bodies are changing right and in this book Rachel's sort of it's summertime so she's dealing with like this new pressure around bodies because of bathing suits and swimming at the swimming hole and I think it's easy to forget that kids arrive at all of those changes at different times and in different ways but they carry a lot a lot of meaning and a lot of stress and strain for kids.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's the other, that's the other pressure, right? Um, like who has, who's developing now and who, sh- who looks good in a bikini or why are you wearing a one piece that's for babies? You know, all these things that people say to each other. Um, oh, and they, they're not meant to be hurtful, but they can be. And um, so poor Rachel, she's, she's really struggling with so many things because her parents don't have a lot of money. She can't really go out and buy a new bathing suit. So she's got these hand-me-downs and she feels so self-conscious. And um, so, yeah, and I mean, I, that was that was me when I was 13. I was so uncomfortable with my, my identity, my body, ev- like everything. <laughs> um, and so I just really wanted to write a character like that because I think one of the reasons I was so shy as a kid, especially at Rachel's age, was I was so insecure and unsure of myself. And, um, and I know I wasn't the only one. And I just, I wanted to provide a character in a book like that for kids like me who really wanted to be able to identify with someone who was struggling with all that stuff.
0: I really see this in the book, and it really came to me, especially at the end of the book, this idea of insides, insides and outsides. Mm-hmm. Um, somebody once told me, don't compare your insides to somebody else's outsides. And oh, you can, I, I love, love that. You know, right? That's like sometimes <laughs> my mantra when I need it. But um, that's a phrase I use often when I need it is don't compare your insides to somebody else's outsides. And I really saw that. I'm going to read you a section of your book. But with Rachel, she presents in some one way, like all of the adults around her think of her as so capable. All of the young people around her are like, you have a best friend, everything's going right for you. And all she can see is the inadequacy of her clothes and how insecure she feels and how uncertain she is about who she who she is. But the people outside don't see that about her. And so this is from page 254, Um, her father says, you've been a wonderful big sister this summer and you've taken on a big responsibility with all those animals. You don't complain when your mom and I can't buy you things and you're, you're just a good kid, Rach. And you're teaching Ivy to be a good kid too. I think about all my inner griping about my bathing suit and hand-me-downs. Maybe on the outside I seem good, but I'm not always so great on the inside. I guess I love that because I often feel that about myself, like people are like, Oh, you're doing fine. And I'm like, Oh, if you only, you could peer inside of my head a little bit or inside my heart a little bit. And so yeah. I feel like that's just part of the human condition. And you really give kids, I think somebody to identify with who seems
1: fine, but who's really struggling. Oh, uh, thank you so much. I'm be a little teary just listening to you say that. Um, Yes, I, I mean, I think social media is another example of that, where I can present myself any way I want on social media. I can show pictures of myself having the best of times, and but, you know, I might be really struggling, and no one would know that. And I think, oh, that's that way with so many kids. It, it harkens back to what I was saying earlier about connecting with a kid in an audience, because when i go and speak at schools i try really hard to be as honest as possible about my own insecurities and what i struggled with as a kid and i always see like a little nod you know by one of the kids and i i just try to nod back but not be obvious but i want to be like i see you i see you i know (laughs) um we're connecting and i know like i want them to know that they're not alone um and that's that's why books are so great for kids right because when they see themselves in a book it's this moment of recognition where they know they're not alone anymore so i think the more that um, authors can write as honestly as possible about what kids worry about and not trying to create these you know wholesome perfect characters but real characters who are trying their best but aren't perfect. Um, those are the those are the examples I think that our our readers need, um, and especially with Rachel's family, just the financial hardships that they have. Um, oh, the number of kids who have written to me to tell me that they know what that's like. Um, and then <laughs> this is another funny. <laughs> Example, it's not funny, uh, sweet. Um, I was I was telling a group of middle schoolers uh, where the idea of where the heart is came from, which is is probably the most autobiographical of all of my books. I, when I was in, I was older than Rachel when this happened, but my family's house was um, foreclosed on. We had to move out of our childhood, my childhood home, my beloved home. Um, and I told the whole story of that. And afterwards, a little boy came up to me and he said, "I am so sorry for the hard time you went through. May I give you a hug?" (laughs) And (laughs) and those are the hugs I'm talking about, right? Like that's that's the connection. Because then I looked to his teacher and asked, "Is it okay if we give a hug?" And she said yes. And while I was hugging him, he said, "I've been through those hard times too." And it was this moment where I felt like he needed to be closer to me to tell me that secret and a hug was the way. And I mean, yeah, those are, that's when I know writing about the tough things in an honest way is the connection that you make right with kids is when you've done it, honestly that they appreciate it and um, they can learn from it. They can, they can see hope. I mean, one of the things that I, even though I write about sad things or hard things, I always try to offer hope, realistic hope in my books. And I, I think that that too is a responsibility of an author when you're writing for younger kids, but, um, they, they appreciate it and it gives them hope for their own, their own situation that they're connecting with to you. So, um, I felt like even though he was giving me hope by giving me that hug, he, I was giving it back to him as well.
0: Oh, I just love that story. Everything about it. Um, <laughs> I, I think one of the the real opportunities of this book to be shared with kids as a read aloud or a class read is um, that it's about a family who's struggling economically, financially, financially. Um, and dealing with economic pressures and the reality of what that looks like, that the parents aren't getting along all the time, that the kids are eating makeshift meals, right? And that the struggle is real for this family. And um, I feel like that's, that's a growing, it, it was already a reality for many Vermont families, many families nationwide, but it's a growing reality with the economic pressures we're under right now because of COVID. Mm -hmm. Right. And families out of work. Um, And so this book feels like a really important third thing, uh, a thing we can talk about these pressures without talking about our own personal experiences necessarily, which I think is really important. But um, I heard from a librarian last year that um, their faculty did not want to do a class read on the benefits of being an octopus and Braden's book, because what if it was too close to home for some kids? And having grown up poor myself, all I could think was I felt seen when I read that book, and I would have loved to have felt seen in that way as a young person without ever any having to confess that my family was struggling. Does that
1: make sense? Yeah, yes, it does. Um, Oh, that that's heartbreaking to hear that somebody that was their takeaway from that. Um, So, I when I was a teenager. I didn't really like to read very much. And one of the reasons I think now looking back on that is because books did not reflect my reality and they made me feel bad about myself. Um, I never had the perfect lives that these kids so often had and while you know i love judy bloom for example but i always felt like even though the characters were flawed and they had challenges there was they were so safe i never felt like stories in or not even just judy bloom but many of like beverly clearly clearly all those books i never felt like the character was in danger that i knew it was gonna be fine and nothing felt really, really serious, right? Um, And then when I got older, I read The Chocolate Boar by Robert Cormier. And that is a very difficult read. Horrible things happen in the book. The characters are not nice people. Um, But for me, it was the first book that felt honest about what life was really like. It was the first book that reflected my reality, I grew up watching my, my brother who's older than me get beat up all the time. I saw teachers bully my brother because he was gay. These are, that was my reality that, that good people that, you know, in quotes, could do bad things and nobody ever, that wasn't present in my, in the books that I had read yet. And that was the first book that moved me to tears, that made me feel real. And that I wasn't alone, that it wasn't just me who was having these experiences that it was it was a thing <laughs> that bullying was a real thing, and it wasn't um, something that was just oh, someone's teasing you the the real depth of what what it's like to be severely bullied um and so that book just gave me my um, it confirmed everything for me. It made me feel like a real person. And it, I I remember thinking, Oh, this, whoever this Robert Cormier is, he tells the truth. And I want to do that. I want to be like that. Um, I want to disturb the universe, you know, like it's famous line in that book. And so when I hear that, uh, someone might be concerned about sharing a book with a kid who um with a story that that might reflect their difficult reality because it would be too hard to read another story about somebody like them. I can't, I can't quite fathom how you would come to that conclusion. Because kids need to know that they're not alone. And in books like Anne's book, there is hope. <laughs> and they need to know that too. So it's it seems very sad to me that you might that somebody might keep a book from a child for that reason because those are the kinds of books that can really and I I don't mean to be over dramatic but they can save kids lives I mean I honestly feel like the chocolate war got me in a moment of real vulnerability. And if I hadn't had that book, and then all of his other books that I read after that one, uh, to remind me that I wasn't alone, I'm not sure like what I would have done, or how I would have felt, or even how I would have survived that really, really rough time in my life. So um, no, (laughs) if anyone is listening and hesitating to share a book, Um, you could ask a kid, (laughs) for one thing, if you know, like, for example, see what Harry's has a a death in it, right, and, um, but I was doing a school visit, and it was from middle school, and um, I was going to talk about all of my middle grade book. So I was going to talk about See You at Harry's and how I got the idea for that and how and and um, still a work in progress and where the heart is and one of the teachers when they saw the slide before the big assembly uh, They saw the slide of See You at Harry's and she came rushing over and said, are you planning to talk about that book? And I said, yes, and she said, well, what are you going to say And I told her I was gonna talk about my brother um, and why I wrote the book, and it was inspired by my own experience with grief. And she said, well, before you do that, let me go talk with someone. Now, meanwhile, I'm about to speak to 450 kids, and I've got my speech ready, (laughs) and um, I'm not sure what's happening. So she comes back with uh, one of the, assistant principal. And they say, well, we have a student and she's coming in the audience and she lost her brother last year. And we haven't shared the book with her, even though many of the other kids have read it because we think it will be too disturbing for her to read this book. And okay, so please don't talk about that book for the first presentation because she will be in the audience. (laughs) And I thought, okay, I'm trying my best to sort of figure out how do I respond to this? Um, Meanwhile, there other teachers could see that there was an issue coming up. And so more teachers came over and said, what's going on? And um, someone said, well, the child's name is going to be in the audience. And we don't want Joe to talk about death or sibling death. And we just we are afraid. And so then someone luckily said, let's talk to her her the guidance um, person who's like the therapist or something and so they went and they talked to the therapist meanwhile time is running out I have no idea what I'm gonna do for my presentation but I'm trying to be sensitive and think oh my gosh I you know and so then the therapist so now we've gone from teacher vice principal principal therapist therapist says why don't we ask her <laughs> so somebody ran down the hall, found the student, told her about my book and what I was going to talk about and she said, "Oh, I would love to hear that what happened to her." And because it was a it was a connection, somebody finally who had also experienced that same kind of pain was in the building and was going to talk about it. And it was it was great. It turned out to be exactly what this kid needed. And what I, I share this story because I understand that the, the the first reaction of these teachers it wasn't censorship it was they were trying to protect this student who had clearly gone through something that was very traumatic and they didn't want her to be in any pain um, but in doing that they almost, lost this opportunity for this kid to meet somebody who had a shared experience with her who could really um help her feel seen and so thank goodness the therapist went and asked her directly what did she want what do you think is best for you And, you know, she knew the answer to that. And I I think we need to trust kids more. And so, yes, if you know that you're about to share a book with somebody who might have a shared experience and say, this might be um, sad for you to read or it might be helpful, what what do you think? And let them decide, you know? um, We've got to give more power to our kids, uh, especially when it comes to what they're ready to read. Because those stories, They help kids grow, they help kids have more empathy for others. I think that so many of the students in that school then, knowing that their friend had been through something similar then read the book, then really had a better understanding getting to know um, Fern, what it might have been like for their friend. So we've gotta keep sharing these stories and not be afraid of them. Um, These things happen you know, and for anyone who hadn't experienced any kind of tragedy yet in their lives. Now they know what it could be like, they're prepared, you know, what better way to experience something difficult than in a book first before in real life. um, Books help prepare us for all of these things. And so, yes, it's hard, you don't want your child to read a book and cry, but I don't know maybe we do maybe we do want them to have those feelings and really under have feelings of intense caring for for others um, goodness knows we we really need that right now so yeah.
0: I just love that whole story and your analysis of it. It it just really rings true for me and I think about if we don't share stories of families like Rachel's family in this book, it's also an act of erasure, right? We pretend like this doesn't happen, but we know that a a, a large percentage of our students in schools all over the country and in Vermont are facing economic hardship. And so I think it's important to be able to see yourself and see that others are having that
1: experience in order to feel empowered. Yes. And I, and, and to kids who are not having that experience to understand what it's like so that the next time they might be tempted to make fun of somebody for the, whatever they wear to school, maybe they'll think twice about it and understand that this kid might be going through a hard time and maybe what they really need is a friend, you know?
0: Yeah. <clears throat> Well, and you brought up, um, you brought up CEO at Harry's and I have to admit that I am a person who reads books to cry. <laughs> like <laughs> i I find that cathartic experience to be um, an important part. Like a, my, I always think about reading as less than a, less of a, I think about reading aloud to my son when he was younger, any children as less an educational experience and more a shared relational, emotional experience. Cause for me, literature and books are so the books that I read, I put down books that don't tug at my heart in some way, or don't wake me up emotionally. Right. Mm-hmm. Like that's, what's really important to me is that I, is that I'm feeling while I'm reading. And when I read See You at Harry's, I like sobbed gutturally. Like my my family thought I was hurt, injured, right? And um, it's really like one of those books that wrenched me more than any other. So thank you for that experience. I know that sounds (laughs) crazy, (laughs) but I was so attached to those characters. And um, one of the things I find about your books, Joe, is you write family so well. You, and so as an educator, right, it just seems to me we can learn a lot just from how you write families. So thank you for the families you share with us. Thank you. But one of the the challenges then as a reader, and I imagine even more as a writer, is that I found myself in this book, I could probably say the same at See You at Harry's, is wanting a happy ending but knowing also that I would be disappointed with a happy ending. Like I was yearning for things to work out for Rachel and her family. And I knew that if the rich neighbors across the street bailed them out or they suddenly got an inheritance, I would feel cheated. So I'm wondering how you, how do you balance that? How do you handle, uh, how do you love these people and give them a realistic
1: ending? Yeah. Um, that's a really hard question to answer actually um, I think my stories are all about if I'm going to just sort of simplify it they're they're about survival surviving hard things um, together so when you talk about family, I think things that happen when you're ten are going to affect every member of your family and and it's it's a it's a group experience and you all have to survive it together and so i think when i think about family and your comment about that that's probably why because it's not just rachel's journey it this this thing that happens affects her sister and her parents and her best friend too and so you have to sort of explore as the author you have to explore how would this affect each of these family members differently and yet how do they come together to get over this hurdle and you know and see What harry's for a large part of the book they don't the mother really retreats into herself and this is a family adrift in their grief and i think a lot of this part of that book was how they find one another again and realize that the only way that they are going to move forward is by figuring out how to come back together again, and and live as a family without this one piece that that was there and now is gone. I'm um, figuring out how you know that's a that's really difficult, <laughs> and um, and and in Rachel's case, she you know the father's telling her she's such a good big sister and helping Ivy through all of this, but. Um, <clears throat> I think part of Rachel's success in getting through all of this was having a little sister to rely on and love and know that she has to be a good role model for her in a way. So the family is all really connected, I think, in all of my books, because surviving together requires that. Um... And so like, in, it's still a work in progress that it's similar because the main character, Noah, his older sister has an eating disorder and the family, again, the story is so much about the family is disconnected because not, none of them really know how to be in this situation, walking on eggshells all the time, wondering if the sister will relapse. And then when she does, Whose fault is it? They just wanna blame each other and they're, they're just so confused and lost and helpless feeling. And I think that a lot of that book is about how the family comes back together. That's where the hope is. The hope isn't that the sister has this miraculous recovery and she's never going to get sick again and she's fine. The hope is in the coming together of the family members. And so, and I, you know, I th- I'm thinking about that now. I'm like, oh wow, I just write the same book over and over again. <laughs> but that's really how it how it happens, right? Um, feeling adrift and then finding one another. That to me is the hope in those books. And I, I, I think that's something that you can give readers because um, readers who are going through a difficult time to understand that it's it's each other. If you as if you have each other. Um, to hold on to you can you know you can get through this that sounds cliche but so often that's what we have to remember is that you have each other um and you may have to live in a different house might not be as nice as the one you were used to but you are together and you love each other and you and you have other days are ahead that you maybe things will change again um but really trying to just Find love again when you're feeling very alone. I think those are some of the themes that I really try to work on, and those are things that I think um, we can all attain. Um, some may be diff- more difficult than others, but that's that is something I can provide. You know. One of the things I really know, thank you for that
0: answer. And one of the things I really notice in your writing is the way in which you write your characters, including families as a character through this strength based perspective, right? Like you're always looking for the places they're capable and strong. And so it makes me think if there weren't challenges, those wouldn't show up as much, right? (laughs) Like part of like uh, respecting your characters is giving them the challenges that you know that they can handle because they can do hard things. And Rachel's, Rachel and Ivy are prime examples of that, right? They show up. And Micah, too. Like, all of the characters in this book, all of the young people in this book are given the opportunity to demonstrate all the ways in which young people are superstars, all the ways in which they're so capable, and more than just at helping you when you can't figure out your phone. Lots of other <laughs> things, too.
1: Yeah, I- Yeah, we got to give kids so much more credit than we do. Sometimes we forget, Um, especially right now when I see kids doing super creative things, they're stuck at home and they're finding ways to make the most of it in such beautiful, admirable ways. And um, and that that can that can travel beyond covid and throughout life. But we need to remember to acknowledge and celebrate those moments because sometimes they just seem so small, but they're huge. And um, yeah, I just, uh, any moment that you have when your kid does something cool to just be like, acknowledge that they just did something really cool is huge for them. I mean, or somebody I, I, else's kid. Yeah, or somebody else's
0: kid. <laughs> the um, girl across the street from me does the most beautiful sidewalk chalk art. Oh. And it brings me so much joy on my dog walks because I don't have a kid in my home and in my daily life right now. But she, her art is always... Um, uplifting and positive and it just brings me so much joy and I finally told her that the other day because I realized I I was carrying all this joy from her art inside but I hadn't expressed to her how much it meant to me the things she chalks on the sidewalk across the street.
1: Oh I'm so glad you had an opportunity to tell her because I bet that meant so much to her even if she I don't know what her response was but I bet internally that Went a really long way, and will probably stay there for a long time doing good things. So I'm so glad you got to do that, Joe.
0: Do you have any suggestions about how teachers might use this book in the classroom? Questions they might, problems they might use with students, or do you have any thoughts on that? Um.
1: Well, this is funny. I you could go to my website. There's a teacher's guide, (laughs) free teacher's guide on my website that my publisher put together. Awesome. Um, (laughs) But one of the things that I really had fun doing with kids when I was visiting around was um, asking them to write some favorite childhood memories of their own or sharing some special thing about their family or like like a family tradition of some sort that is unexpected that only their family does or something like that. Something positive, something that brings them joy. Um,
0: like the birthday thing. banner in this book. That seemed like a yes! that, a yeah, specific tradition family tradition. They put up a birthday banner for the birthday the the family member's birthday in the morning. Yes is that, yes. Is that the so, kind of
1: thing you're thinking about? Yes. So it doesn't have to be um, you know something huge but some little thing that only maybe only their family does that 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 they they think is special um, anything like that or just even just describing um, their relationship with a sibling or like the best day you ever had with your sibling. so focusing on something that's positive it doesn't have to be like that they went on some special trip it could just be this favorite day they had reading a book together. Um, so I try to give lots of examples so that they don't feel pressured to come up with some big thing it's the little things just like and I can pull out ideas from where the heart is that Rachel and Ivy share you know what are the special things that you do for your sibling or what is something special that your sibling does for you that nobody else would appreciate except for you you know things like that so ways that kids can see their own experience as unique and special and worth sharing with the group and, um, or not, I mean, I would never force a kid to share things, but so often they do have these little gems, you know, that are so special. And I think a lot of times they don't get the chance to share those parts of themselves with each other. And it really shows another side of them that they don't necessarily always get to share with, with each other, so, and it, and it helps connect them. Um, to see all the things they do have in common, so.
0: One of the things I love about reading fiction is I think you get to to real deep truth through fiction. (laughs) More than with nonfiction, we think of nonfiction as factual. But to me, like the deep truths are in fiction. But there's also often in fiction, little snippets that I can imagine pulling out and using with a class. And one of them from your book is on page 246. It says, when you learn vocabulary words in school, you memorize the definition and you have a good idea of what the words mean, but it's not until you feel them that you really grasp the definition. I've known what the word helpless means for a long time and desperate, but I've never felt them. Feeling them is different. They fill your chest with a horrible sense of dread and guilt and despair. Those are more vocabulary words that you can't fully understand until you feel them. And so I'm I'm thinking about, using this around vocabulary or spelling or word use or just like what really makes you feel something and feeling about how powerful um, that little snippet could be in the classroom
1: that's like what <laughs> i like that
0: but i will definitely put a link to your your teacher's guide to this book um, and to your website in the transcript for this episode thank you Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us about where the heart is, for sharing your story as a, as a person, as a human, and also as a writer and for being so vulnerable, Joe, I, I, there's so much strength in vulnerability and I really appreciate that about you as a writer and and just the way you show up uh, here and with kids to talk about your books and,
1: and um, your work. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. That's, Really kind and means a lot to me coming from you, Bill. So thank you very much.
0: Anything else, Joe? You want to say before I stop the recording? Was no. there
1: anything you wish you had said that you didn't say? Well, I just I I know that right now while kids are transitioning from Zoom to classrooms and then back to Zoom as things ebb and flow with the virus, um, that you know, I, I hope that we can give kids the space to feel like they can just get lost in a story and that that's enough. Um, I know we always talk about how do we use a book in the classroom, but sometimes I think we just need to share these stories and let them and let that be sometimes enough um, that we are connecting through feeling, um, going through a journey all together. So sharing books out loud, reading to each, other, reading to kids, no matter what age. I, I think that that is one way to feel connected at a time when we feel so disconnected. Uh, stories have always brought us together, and um, I hope that we try to hold on to that and allow space for that as we are pressured to have all of this education time. Um, Stories are always teaching us so many things and I think that's probably enough just to to experience them together.
0: I love it. I'm all for the marketing campaign, stories as self-care and community care.
1: Perfect. I will yeah. make
0: that t-shirt. I'm 100% <laughs> in. I When I'm stressed, <laughs> I turn to fiction. <laughs> um, thank you so much. Okay, I'm going to stop recording now. I'm Jeannie Phillips and this has been an episode of Vermont Ed Reads, talking about what Vermont's educators and students are reading. Thank you so much to Joe Knowles for appearing on the show and talking with me about where the heart is. If you're looking for a copy of Where the Heart Is or any of Joan Knoll's books, check with your local library. Many, many thanks to our dear audio engineer, Audrey Homan, for all the things. To find out more about Vermont Ed Reads, including past episodes, upcoming guests and reads, and a whole lot more, you can visit vtedreads.tarrantinstitute.org. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at vtedreads. This podcast is a project of the Tarrant Institute for Innovative Education at the University of Vermont.